Well, good morning. Um, you know, I was this week I was during our reading, our uh, discipleship reading, it talked about Solomon, and one of the things that really uh, grabbed my attention is that they, it took seven years again to build this temple, and they would actually carve these rocks, these 12-foot, 15-foot rocks. Now, I remember uh, years ago, my wife, uh, it's a funny story, but my, my wife saw this big rock at the uh, end of our, our road where we lived in Grand Haven. And uh, she goes, I want that rock. You know, me being the, the husband that I, I love to be for my wife, I want, I want to make her wishes, you know, every wishes that she has come true. And so I went over there and uh, grabbed this, this monster rock, and I couldn't pick it up. It, it thing must have weighed 500 pounds, but I could roll it. And so I, I rolled it on, uh, I, on my tractor bucket, and, and in the process of doing it, it rolled back on my finger. And you know how, what all of us do when, when we get into a space that's a uh, crisis for our body? We, we do things, we jerk things. We jerk. The last thing I should have done is jerk my hand out, but I jerked my hand out, took my nail right off my finger, and, and it's all bloody, and I'm like, oh, you know, and, but I still thought, well, it's still a win. I got the rock. And so we put the rock and put it over there. And about two days later, my neighbor knocks on my door. He goes, Why'd you move my rock? <laughs> so I had to bring the rock back. <laughs> and he had no idea that it was her, their rock. And uh, so basically I'm trying to please my wife, stealing my neighbor's rock. Um, but today what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you to do something a little bit simpler. Um, I'm going to ask you guys, all of you guys that are in the back row, you now just got to the front row. Because we're going to go over there and we're going to turn your chairs around and you can see the back screen. All right, so, because we have no screens going over there, so I want you guys all to get up, and I know this is a really commotion right now, but I want you to get your seats, turn your seats around, and aim them at the back wall. It's a little easier than moving a 12-foot rock. <laughs> and if you can't see very well because you're in the very back row, well, guess what? You're in the very front row. Move over here. We can move the seat. There's plenty of seats over here that we're in the front, now in the back. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, and, and if you can't, can you guys put the, the words up on the screen over there? Yes. You guys see our sound guys right now? Be a, okay. And uh, what I really want to share with you guys right now, the funny part of it is, is that Tom... Um, be our guest. If this is the very first time you're here at Life Change Church, we want to welcome you. Would you guys give them a warm welcome? <laughs> and uh, in fact, uh, if you are a guest here today, there is a welcome center in the lobby in the very back of the church. And my wife, who is in charge of that, would love to welcome you and give you a warm welcome. We also have a gift that we want to give to you so that in that space that you can go over there and have a trip to our cafe. Also, tonight is youth service, 6 o'clock to 8 o'clock. So if you have any students from 6th grade through 12th grade, we would love to see your students there. My wife and I are now part of the student ministry temporarily but we are helping lead that. In fact, we're seeing a lot of things and activities that are happening. In fact, we met with our youth leaders uh, this last week, had a great dinner with them. We, I want you to assure you right now that we are taking our youth ministry even more serious. Our children's ministry, uh, if you have not, not met 
Tim, who is our director over children's ministry, please do so. He is new back there, and he has asked me to make a request, and that is that we actually have an opportunity for many, you know, many places to serve in our children's ministry. Right now, we have our kids that are going on. It's celebration. It's our fifth Sunday. It's celebration weekend for our children. So there, there's blow-up equipment. There's a bunch of fun. So if you did see some of that stuff, that is what is going on in our children's ministry. God is doing wonderful things in our kids. Amen? But you know what? I, I don't know if you guys are, if this is your, li- your home, we got to start getting full of faith and hope. And I know you guys don't see my wonderful face. Let, maybe that's a struggle for you right now. I don't know, but I want you guys to realize it's not about my face. It's about God's presence. Amen? Come on. So this, this, we're going to really touch God's heart, I know, today. It's very important. In fact, there was a, a service I went to many years ago. And uh, in that service, there was a, a space where, in fact, I went back to my pastor. And I felt like it was the worship of man and not the worship of God. And, you know, if there's one thing that I would love to do is I would love to get out of your way and help you find Jesus. And I pray that our praise and worship, that you don't see the faces and that you don't see the, the great instruments and the great vocals, but that you see Christ that would come inside of your life. Well, if you have your Bibles or your smart device, turn with me to Romans chapter 4. We're going to get to it today, and the message today is our third in this journey of faith. Everybody say, journey of faith. It's our journey of faith. And uh, even as uh, today, really, if I could title it, it would be the face-off, is there's a face-off inside of your life, which means something inside of your life, there's going to be things that you face that you can't consider your strengths, you can't consider your, um, your gifts, but you have to get to that point where all you consider is what God can do through your life. And in, in, in that discussion, I want to show you that the last two weeks, we have seen five people come to know Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Can you give God praise for that? So I know that uh, you can't see that, but what I need somebody to do over here is they can, you know, uh, Brian, would you go over here and light that candle? All right, and I'm in uh, doing so. I know that there are people right now that are um, that are aware of this, but we're believing for people to get saved outside these doors, not just inside those doors. And so I want to want you to get to know that there's a, a man in our our church family that has uh, emailed me um, twice in the last couple months, and both times he's emailed me with the, uh, the, the understanding, he goes, light that candle again, Pastor Ron. And what I'm saying is this, is he's had the opportunity to lead somebody to Jesus Christ outside this church. So can you give God praise for that too, amen? So that means in the last two weeks, we've had six people come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That is praiseworthy, amen. So if I was the devil, I'd want to stop what God's doing here too, right? God is good all the... All the time. Romans chapter 4, verse 17, reading about Abraham. This is what the scriptures mean when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened, this happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life, creates new things out of nothing. Even when there's no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you'll have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken. 
Even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit, too. Assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him, the one who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. Father, I pray that you help us come to understand what the faith journey is. And that, Lord, that there are so many things today in our culture about felt needs. And that we don't go by our feelings, that we walk by faith and not by sight. And God, that wouldn't be just a slogan. That wouldn't just be a, a quotation, God, from your word. But God, that would be a truth that we live out. God, that we would find ourselves walking a journey that pleases you because the, we know that the only way to please you is in and through faith. And Lord, we wouldn't project that or displace it on somebody next to us or around us. But God, that we would have that infused in our lives. And we thank you, Father, for the opportunity to be tested in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Well, today I want to share with you, and if you could just listen up, all right, um, I kind of broke down what happened in Genesis, and so I don't have this in your notes, you won't see this on the screen, but just listen to what Abraham's journey was to get to be fully convinced. And remember, he started at age 75. In Genesis chapter 12, we find that God told Abraham, leave. He hears that promise, but he doesn't act on it right away. Kind of like many times in our lives, we hear what God is saying to us, or we feel a, a movement or a notion from the Lord, but we don't act on it. And faith is an action word, people. It's not something we just hear, it's action. So he hears the promise, God will make him a great nation and bless him. He builds an altar and worships God. We find in verse 8 and 9. And then we find just really just in a few a passage or a few scriptures or passages later, we find out that he's fearful of his own wife's beauty. The promise is that through your wife Sarah, you're going to have a child of promise. And we find out just after that promise is made, right after that altar, all of a sudden fear rises up in Abraham and he fears that his wife's beauty is going to get his life taken. Verse 13, we find that Abram and his nephew Lot split and Abram builds another altar. So we're going to find out over and over that Abraham is struggling in his faith. That's why we have an altar at this church. I know that you're faced the opposite way right now, but normally you are faced the altar. You're going to always go to places what God has asked you to do, and it's going to feel like it's impossible. You're going to have to go to that altar so that God can do his work inside so the power gets to the outside. By chapter 14, Lot is captured and Abraham rescues him. And he has a moment with Melchizedek. By chapter 15, we find that God gives him a vision again to prepare further for Abraham's heart. In Genesis chapter 15, verse 5, we find that the Lord took Abraham outside again to reaffirm that same promise. Look at the sky. Look at the sand underneath your feet. 
By chapter 16, we find Abraham and Sarah have been on a journey of faith for 11 years to hold on to that promise. Sarah has instructed Abraham to have a child with her servant Hagar. All of a sudden, this gets really messy, and they start thinking, you know, we're just going to take things in our own hands. So 11 years later, we find that Sarah is discouraged. Have you ever been discouraged following God's plan? Ever been discouraged following the space of faith in your journey? And have you, have you made decisions that are foolish and not righteous? By verse 17, chapter 17, again, we find out that Abraham bowed down to the ground. He laughed to himself when he found out. Here, so we have another, here's four, 14 more years, 13 more years have just passed by, just in a few verses. And Abraham laughs. Sarah laughs. And I thought this is interesting. This is something I never saw in my study until I took this time again. In Genesis chapter 20, verse 17, right after Abraham is afraid of his wife's beauty again, that Abimelech, that it says that this king Abimelech, that God had to pray for Abimelech and that all of Abimelech's, all the, all the ladies of that, of that basically that um, kingdom underneath Abimelech could bear children. And we find out in the next chapter, Sarah gets pregnant. Sarah gets pregnant. Interesting enough, I find it so many times that God births a space of his work outside of us, a work of his kingdom, a powerful move in his kingdom, before all of a sudden it's sealed, that very promise. inside. Joseph, we find that Joseph answered two dreams of others before the dream of his own was answered by God. So I want to uh, break down this passage for you guys and this message to you guys. Number one, if you look in your study guides, the world will contra con contradict or resist the journey of your faith. The world will contradict or resist your journey of faith. If you find resistance in your walk and your faith of your marriage, that's what you're going to find. If you find resistance in your health, if you find resistance inside the scope of what's got you want and you feel God's wanted for your children, if you find resistance when it comes to your finances, there's going to be resistance in the world. It will contradict what God speaks inside of your life. Will you walk by faith or will you walk and you know and waver because of the resistance? Number two, do not reduce your journey of faith to what this world promises. This week I was connecting with a lawyer that's actually helping us out with a, somebody who has promised us something great for this church. And I'm asking this lawyer to help navigate and this person's helping me, you know, this person's asked for us to do it. It's just a, it's a, a, a real blessing for this church family. And um, this lawyer who, um, he, I don't, he doesn't know Jesus, but guess what? When your pastor gets in front of him, all we do is talk about, yeah, you bet, you guessed it, we talk about Jesus. And he's my lawyer too, and, and so we're having this discussion. So he asked me, he goes, what's it like to be a pastor? He's asking me, he goes, what's it like to be a pastor today in, in today's society? And I, I shared with him, I go, he says, it's really a struggle because everybody goes by felt needs, not by principles. Everybody makes decision on what is the current felt need instead of what is the principle. In fact, what that really means if you're looking in the Bible, nobody has, nobody's really looking at the far, the, the, the long game. They're always looking at the short game. 
which means that we're not really looking at and saying the promises of faith, that's the long game. What God does inside of our heart to make this journey. 24 years it took for God's promises to be in effect for Abraham. 24 years. I'm not talking about 24 minutes. And yet today, we have a society, we are, we are in a culture that is so quickly moved. Recently, I'm hearing people talk more about wearing a mask again. And I'm like, where is this stuff coming from? And are we walking, yes, I love it, are we walking by faith or are we walking by sight? And I, I wonder, when are we going to start being what God has called us to be in the journey of what God's called us to be? Are we going to follow the culture of the world or are we going to follow the promises of God? Romans 12 verse 2 says it this way, Do not be conformed to the world any longer with the superficial values and customs. I'm reading from the Amplified translation. But be transformed, progressively changed, as you mature spiritually, by the renewing of your mind, focusing on godly values and ethical attitudes, so that you may prove for yourself what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect in his plan and purpose for you. The world will shape us in a direction what's popular opinion, but God will shape us in the space of what is his kingdom come, his will be done. Number three in your study guide, the world will bring sickness, symptoms, physical impossibilities. God's promise will transform your physical into his spiritual testimony. I wanna read some passages for you guys. Just, I mean, the word of God is alive. I remember as a children's pastor, I used to have this, um, this opportunity to take uh, this Bible, all you had to do is open it up and it would, it would light up and fire. And let me tell you something, the Word of God is alive. It's on fire and it will burn inside of our hearts if we will allow it. So in Luke chapter 4, as we read this, after leaving the synagogue that day, Jesus went to Simon's home where he found Simon's mother-in-law very sick with a high fever. Please heal her, everyone begged. Standing at her bedside, he rebuked the fever and it left her, and she got up at once and prepared a meal for them. Many of us today would think, well, you know what, if, if Peter is serving God, why did God even allow this? Why did, why did his, you know, his mother-in-law even get sick? And we'll sit there and think about what the world and the customs and all the nonsense and all the, we'll get an attitude and frustration, we'll doubt the power of God instead of just act out what God has promised. Matthew chapter 8 Verse 23, then Jesus got into the boat and started across the lake with his disciples. Suddenly, a fierce storm struck the lake with waves breaking into the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him up shouting, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. Jesus responded, why are you so afraid? You have so little faith. Then he got up, rebuked the wind and the waves, and suddenly there was a great calm. The disciples were amazed. Who is this man, they asked. Even the winds and the waves obey him. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John went into the temple one afternoon to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. 
As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was carried in. Each day, he was put beside the temple gate, and one called the beautiful gate so he could beg from the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, Look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold, but I'll give you what I have in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene. Get up and walk. Why are we turning to the world for its substance? Why are we looking for what this world can give? Jesus is showing us that what we have is not of this world. And yet so many of us are framed by what the world and this, what smells, our senses, we can taste, feel, see, hear, touch. All of our senses are geared and aimed at what this world will give us. And yet God has given us a sense that we should taste and see and hear and feel and touch God. Do you know that you should be able to touch the presence of God? Taste the space of who he is? Feel who he is, and yet so many of us are, all of our senses are completely acute and all trained by the world. They're trained by the world. Anybody can sit and complain about what this world has, but are you taking the time in worship in your life? God, help me sense your presence. Teach me your ways. Moses spoke this so quickly you know, so declaratively. He says, God, teach me your ways. Now, many of us could look at Moses and go, seriously? Who knew his way more than him? But Moses recognized something that is not of this world. Whether he was with him and he was up on that mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, or whether he was down with the people or whether he was glowing like God's presence all over him and then finally realizing that that glow was dimming. Whatever it was, Moses recognized that he needed it not just on the outside, he needed it even more on the, the inside. Number four, power in the announcement of God's promise is strengthened every time it's tested. Power of God in the announcement. What that means is this. It's one thing to talk about God's word. It's another thing to let God's word get in your feet and walk out and out in life. The Bible says in John chapter 1, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. What this is saying, this statement I'm trying to help you understand is this. When you state God's promises in your life, what you are doing is what, your, what Jesus did. His, he was the word, and it walked it out on this earth. That's what declaration is. So when you declare by his stripes, you are healed, what you are doing is saying, look, I know that I have every symptom of sickness, that I know that there are things in this world that are chemically, virally going on. But as for me in this temple, I will declare the promises of God. 
And every time you make the announcement, you, be, you solidify, you empower that promise inside of your heart. Let me just tell you something. Satan works so hard at keeping you mute. In fact, I would dare to say that every one of you, when you have a promise, that when your symptom is talking to you, for instance, when you, let's just say that you're coughing and that you have the symptoms of a flu. When God's word wants to work inside of you, and that word would be, by his stripes, you are healed. Your symptoms, you're coughing, you're hacking, and so what happens is, is that you put your promises on mute. You wait for you to stop coughing. You wait for that moment where you stop having the symptoms because you don't want to look like you're lying. You don't want to look like that you're just, or even lying to yourself, or that you're just, you know, you're just blabbing something out. Yet you couldn't do anything better in the Lord than to make that statement and declare that statement. Because every time you make that statement, even though your symptoms may not go away, you fixate on his promises. And his promises become stronger inside of your life. That your symptoms, all the world and all the, what the world is telling you, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you might prove what is acceptable, perfect will of God in your life. So I will share with you that I, what I do is I will speak God's promises until those promises come alive in my body. I will speak those. Now, here's what happened is Abraham had to speak that for 24 years. Are you listening? 24 years he had to speak those promises of God. When everything around his world, in fact, people might even say his wife thought he was crazy. To the point where she came up with a crazy idea of, why don't you have my servant girl? Lot probably coming to his own nephew. He's probably hearing these promises of God. He's going, you know what, Lot, you know what, Abraham? I see, I, I see you always at the altar, and I don't really see God doing anything for you. Lot never fixated at the altar for his walk. How many times do we mute what God is saying? Mute to what the word of God says. Interesting enough, if you look at Zechariah and Elizabeth, and if you know what I'm talking about, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they had a son. His name was John the Baptist. And what happened was Zechariah, he didn't believe what God said. And I love the storyline because it differentiates between the two, between the story of Mary, says, may it happen even as you have said. She believed the impossible. And then Zechariah, he considered his body and said, you know what, I, I'm too old to have a child. And the Bible says that Zechariah was mute for nine months until Elizabeth had that baby. And then they asked him, what is the baby going to be called? And they expected him to be called Zechariah or some form of it. And when he said he shall be called John, immediately immediately he spoke. I don't think we understand these historical moments 
God is trying to teach us the principles and that we need to be declarative of what God has promised over our life. Which means this, if you're struggling in your body, if you're struggling with sickness, you should be declaring his promises over your body even more. If you're struggling in your marriage, you should be declaring his promises over your marriage even more. If you're struggling with your children, you should be declaring his promises even more. If you're struggling with your finances, because you're not supposed to be conformed to what this world is, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Well, what does that mean? That means what God says is more important than what your world says to you. That means that your environment, though it's very real and authentic, and it may be the very thing that you're living in, but God is still creative. He's still majestic. He's still powerful. And he's still Lord. And he can bring things, God who calls things that be not, as though they are, and cause the things that are dead back to life. That's Romans 4, 17 through 21 that we've been reading. Is that the God that you believe in? Is that the faith that you are walking out? In James chapter 1, verse 2, it says this. Put the scripture up there if you could for me. James 1, 2. Consider it nothing but joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you fall into a various trial. Be assured that the testing of your faith through experience produces endurance, leading to spiritual maturity and inner peace. And let endurance have its perfect result and do a thorough work so that you may be perfect and completely developed in your faith, lacking in nothing. If you're here this morning, I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes if you would. And though today is different, it's unique, but so is the journey that God has us in our life. If you're here and, and you don't have the assurance you don't have that space of his presence inside your heart. You're unsure. We just read in James chapter 1 that when we go through trials, that what God can produce inside of us, it produces a hope. It produces a strength. It produces a peace. It produces his presence in our life. And the world may grasp and, and try, to, try to figure out what it can bring and offer. But God's word tells us over and over that to let go of the things of this world and to hang on to his kingdom. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his right path. And everything that you can imagine will be added into the space of your life. I don't know what you're going through in this time, even like we're going through this service that's different. I'm not moved by that. Lord, I want to I be moved by what God is speaking into my heart today. I want you to be moved by what God is speaking in your heart today. And for some of you right now, like six others in this last two weeks, they answered the knock when God is knocking on the door of their heart. 
I believe there's somebody here right now, maybe even watching us online, that he's knocking on your heart. You feel that, that emptiness inside of you, but yet all of a sudden there's an awareness of that emptiness. That's Jesus knocking on your heart. When the creator of the universe comes in the space of that vacuum of your heart, all of a sudden you will, you will sense that there's something missing. For you right now that you feel that there's something missing, that's Jesus knocking on your heart to accept him as Lord and Savior. He loves you. Or maybe you're hearing where you've turned your back. Maybe you've walked a different path for a season and you sense God wanting you to come home. That's him again knocking on your heart. So if either one of those situations are you with your head bowed, your eyes shut, and that's the Lord talking to you right now and saying, Pastor Ron, I want to give my heart to him right now. Give my life to him. Or I want to return to him. I want you to raise your hand nice and high. Say, that's me. Anybody else in this house right now that's in this house, say, that's me. Thank you, Lord. All right, church family, let's pray. Say, Father God, in Jesus' name, here I am. I surrender to your steps today and the days to come. I'm all yours, God. Lord Jesus, have your way by your Holy Spirit to lead me in your path of righteousness. In Jesus' awesome name, amen. Let's stand.